0: We're going to start a series for the month of March. It's not coincidental, but I want, I want you to know that in January this year, I spent some time with a group of pastors and other people within the valley praying for a, a couple of days straight just to seek God and hear what he had to say, and one of the things that hit me was this entire series for March. March. Now, in some ways, the grammar Nazis, the homeschool moms, the, those that have to do all kinds of papers are, are dying right now because gooder isn't a word. I even had someone think I messed up on the graphic and send me a message and go, I think your grammar's messed up because it shouldn't say gooder, it should say better. And obviously, the point was missed in that case. But there's so many times that we, we come to God and, and we, and we want to talk with him, but we don't come to him as a child. We come to him letting him know, okay, here's the list of things that you should have been doing, and then advance forward, and then we get mad, we get frustrated that it didn't happen how we wanted to. And so I used a, uh, for the graphics here, we made sure that we had a, it looked like a kid drew it. It would have been cute if I could have had a kid do it. And we said, pray gooder for this series. Now, I'm not going to say gooder the entire teaching. I'm not that, I wanted to, but I'm not that mean. But I want to hit us with three points for this morning as we get into this. You can turn to Matthew chapter 6, but I want you to remember these three things. Number one, we, we went through this when we talked about prayer a couple months ago. This, this is a key point. This is what separates religion and relationship. This is what separates other world religions that have prayer as a pivotal component and Christianity. It's this point. Prayer doesn't work. God does. I don't give any glory to prayer. I give the glory to the one that I'm talking to. And that's something we have to realize. It isn't that prayer works. Believe in the power of prayer. There is no power in prayer. There is power in the God we speak to. That's what we have to realize. That's why the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father in heaven. Remember what we're doing and who we're talking to. If prayer worked, then we don't need God. And everybody who prays would be getting everything they needed. All of their peace, they'd never come to Jesus because prayer works. Now, prayer to the God who works on our behalf is powerful, which is what Scripture does say, that the fervent prayer of that righteous man, the man who is right with God, there is much that comes from that. Why? Because he's right with God, because they're truly speaking to God. Here's another point for us to think about as we get into prayer, the second one is this. Prayer isn't seeking to get our will on God. To make sure he's got our list. Here's our checkbox. God, now, now, now don't mess that one up. That was six zeros, God. It was six, okay? Our, our, our little list, our checkbox. But it's us submitting to him so he can get his will in us. It totally twists what a lot of times I know for me, I see prayer as. If we look at prayer as a time to hear what God is saying, we usually will shift from prayer time turning into, and we all do it, I'll be the first to raise my hand, I, I stop myself in prayer and say, man, I just spent more time whining than actually talking to God. I spend more time going, it's so hard, or I don't like this, or I'm in a bad mood, or all these different things, all important things, but we have to go, so what? Who are we talking to? Who is it that we're addressing? What is this conversation that we're having? And then the last piece here is before we get into Matthew 6. Is that prayer isn't talking. It's communication. It's it's a relationship. I've had numerous questions. In fact, I have one question for Q&A Sunday that says, the Bible says that we're to pray always. So how can I talk to God all day, every day? How will I get anything done? The reason is we have to look at either God's command of praying always is wrong or our definition of prayer is wrong. I would probably lean to our definition. Sometimes prayer, our prayer life, is more powerful when we just shut our mouth and let him speak. In fact, how many of you let me, let me ask you this, because I'll, I'll raise my hand also. How many of you are talkers? Just in general, you're talkers. You could, you could let people back up in fear, because you can just outword them, right? Now, everybody who didn't raise their hand are probably the introverts that are terrified, and now you're like, okay, I know all the people I'm not going to see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of walk around them when we leave church. How many times have you just gotten quiet for a second with someone that you love them, they're your best friend, and they say something, and you're like, wow, has that been in there the whole time? Like, I should have been quiet sooner. I know I've said that plenty of times. I'm married to a woman of great wisdom. She's more introverted, and she'll just smile as I'm just. Tut, 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 tut. And I go, what do you think? And she goes, five words, and my entire life direction can change. It's phenomenal. And what did it take? Shut my mouth. So we have to remember that about prayer. Let's read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go through Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 5, we're going to go all the way to the the end of this section in verse 13. But let me give you some context. Jesus is talking to a large group of people. And then the group slightly starts to narrow. And he talks about prayer. And he says this, And when you pray, verse 5, chapter 6, Matthew and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, let, let me reverse that. And when you pray, don't be afraid to pray out loud because you're not sure you're going to say it right, because you're more afraid of what others think than the Father in heaven who hears you. That gave me goosebumps because I've used that excuse many years ago, and someone said, Are you praying to me or to God? Some of us have some big excuses. Don't pray out loud. Maybe that'll fix it. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard. Here's a big one here because of their many words. That's why the series title is not Pray More, Pray Longerer. It's Pray Gooder. We, we need to focus on the fact of who we're really speaking to. If we really realize that the creator of the entire universe, everything we see, everything we don't see, everything that influences us, everything we don't even perceive but is happening, is the one that we're talking to, would we need to say more than God help? Sometimes that's more powerful than listing off all the details just in case he might not have heard it. Now, it's not to say that we don't have long conversations with God. I know I have. I've sat in my office or sat in the woods just talking with him for the longest time, and it's just phenomenal. But that's because there's a relationship. And I love hearing my father. And I love knowing he hears me. I had just this week this amazing confirmation just some big spiritual battles happening inside of my life. And God saying he doesn't want things in my life. And, and me saying, I don't want it there either, but I do want it. And so there's that battle back and forth. And I said I said in prayer time a couple days ago, I said, God, I just need encouragement to know that you hear what I'm saying. And that you just show me today. Out of the blue, two people that are just people I love, haven't talked with forever. They don't live around the area sent me a message within two hours. Hey, I want to talk. For some reason, you're on my mind. I don't know why. A couple hours later, I get a phone call. Hey, Joe, it's been forever since we talked to you. I don't know why, but I'm just sitting here, and boom, you're in my mind, and I'm supposed to call you. So I just called you. That's, if that's not goosebump territory, I don't know what it is. Well, it's, it's coincidences. Come on. We, we have family members we've wanted to talk to forever, and they don't just happen to think about us. These are just Really just random people. One of them I thought I'd never talk to again. But God touched their heart and confirmed. Touched their heart and confirmed. And even when I started to doubt it, I get a text from somebody who barely ever says, what can I pray for you about? The only thing they said was, I'm supposed to pray for you today. What is it about? Coincidences. No. God hears us. He hears his kids. He cares about his kids. He hears our voice when we speak, if we're really speaking to him. Like I said before, if we go to a Burger King and ask for a Big Mac, we're just going to get dead air on the other end, not just because the Burger King has bad service. Verse 7, that was levity. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. He says that twice. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now here's the question many of us have on verse 8, though. Well, if He already knows what we need, why am I praying? Go back to point number... I like think it was two. We're not here to tell God what to do. There's something more to prayer. If God already knows what we need, what is it with prayer that God is wanting us to hook into? Could be part of it. God is wanting us to have a relationship. And sometimes I'd rather just remove the word pray because it confuses us more than it helps us at times because of a religious past surrounded around robes and beads and all kinds of noise related to prayer when simply put, it's communication with God. It's some sort of spiritual wormhole connected to a God outside of this time and space. And I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And I don't know why he listens to me sometimes, but he does It's a relationship. It's a conversation with him. And now we get into what many would call the Lord's Prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, many of us just said that and recited that from memory. Some of us may have even added in some things at the end from memory. I want to I share something with you because in Luke, there's a similar recounting, a memory that was shared. And the first point for this morning comes from Luke 11.1. One. It Says that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. Jesus' response was this template. When Jesus responded to a question of, I want to pray and what pray? Title of the series, guys, come on. Pray gooder. I got three people to say that's awesome. We're going to have everybody going. What did Jesus say? Well, just try harder. Use the right words. No. There's a a process of going through this that Jesus was getting them to see something. So the one answer, sorry, the one question that humans have had, a question that we all ask, and he gave an answer. I want to share a testimony of a guy. His name's Dennis. I met him in January and he said, as a pastor, he was praying and, and he just said, you know, God, I, I don't feel like my prayer life, my relationship with you, really has what it's supposed to have. I pray, I read the Bible, I'm a pastor. All these things are happening from a ministry perspective, but something isn't right. Something isn't happening. And so he went to Scripture and tried to find the, the examples of prayer. And, and when God was, was ex, is giving you know, mentoring people and how to pray. And you see God in the Sermon on the Mount sharing blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, and there's this lifestyle that's that's shared about. He shares about ways to interpret the law, the, the, the ways that we deal with divorce and how do we deal with promises and how do we deal with love for our enemies and all kinds of different things. And then he gets to prayer and we all of a sudden turn it into a formula instead of it being direction to understand the words that are being said. And he realized that God had already answered his prayer on how to pray. And so he went in and started looking. Sometimes we would ask this question, how do I clearly hear you and how do I talk to you better, God? And I believe the answer is in the Lord's prayer. It's the one time in Scripture that God says, pray like this, pray like this. Not because it's a formula and when we get done reciting it, all of a sudden magic happens. It's because it has every element of the problem that humans have. And so the, type, the title for this morning's message, if you're taking notes, you just want to put it at the top, is Vertical Flow. Vertical Flow is what we need to think about. Because as soon as we get going and start talking with God, imagine the prayer if it would have started in the opposite. God, give us today our daily bread. And forgive me. And lead me. Oh, yeah. Father in heaven, you're holy. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven it changes everything in fact give us our day give us today our daily bread has a whole different context after i've said who it is that i'm talking with who it is that's hearing the words that i say so let's go through this piece by piece and see what it is that god is really saying to us because there's times where i've had the question well how do you do the lord's prayer Some of us have a history and a past. We know exactly how to do the Lord's Prayer. There's a certain way to sit, certain beads to hold, certain places to be. All these different things are part of that that prescription. Some of us have been told, oh, no, 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 it's it's just a guide. It's just a temple. It's just like a a how-to. It's just really, you know, you just want to make sure that you're not asking God for things first and, and you just love God. I think on one side we minimize it, the power that God has put there, and the other side... I think we maximize the words instead of what it is that God was showing us to do. So what I like to do, as usual, is stand in the middle on this, and let's take this piece by piece. So the first statement in the prayer is, Our Father in heaven. These are all words that were carefully chosen, specifically placed. Our Father in heaven. Here's the point for this. Good prayer begins with knowing where we are and where he is. If we realize that the spiritual world is what really manipulates and controls and and has its impact on our lives in the physical, we realize we need an advocate in the spiritual realm. We need someone to stand. We need something to, to affect life for us in that spiritual world. That's why as we read Scripture, we read the book of Colossians as set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. And we have died to our flesh and our body in the previous chapter, Colossians chapter 2, and that we've been buried with Christ and then raised with him. There's this mentality of this spiritual connection, but yet I'm also trapped in the physical, so I have to say, God, I don't have the ability to see what's happening sometimes. I don't know everything that's going on. I don't see the the pieces that you're moving around. So I say, Father, the one who's in authority over me, the one that cares for me more than I could ever imagine, Father in heaven, this is who I talk to first. Not big man in the sky. Not the man upstairs. Our Father In this culture, to say, Father, was a massive statement of authority. It was a statement of submission. It was a statement that said, I am putting myself underneath your leadership and guidance. I'm placing myself in your trust. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Coffee with Jesus cartoon. But there's one that has a picture of a man that said, Lord, I want to to be able to trust you more. I just feel like I always get stressed out over things, and then I realize you had already had it under control. And Jesus looks over at the guy and says, look at your kids. And he goes, yeah, I love going in and looking at my kids at night. They just sleep so peacefully. And Jesus responds back with, well, why is that? And he goes, well, they're just resting and, and trusting. I mean, Dad's got it. And all it showed was a picture of Jesus going, sipping on his coffee. Dad's got it. Dad's got it. Sometimes I've stopped and said, our Father in heaven. Well, that pretty much sums it up. All of my issues were elsewhere. You got it, God. You've got it. God reminds us when we say our Father in heaven that We have to realize that God is not physical, and neither is His primary concern. And We really struggle with that, though, because almost everything that we get derailed by in life is something physical. Something physical hits us. Something around us begins to shift or change, and and we all of a sudden, uh, life is over, because the physical hasn't happened how we wanted it to. And unfortunately, we go ahead and put that on God. And we think then that our hope starts to diminish, our 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 faith begins to minimize. And I want to realize that that's actually not just the mindset of humans in fear and fear and forgetting who's in charge of them, but Jesus dealt with this actually with his disciples. He was with his disciples. He speaks of a spiritual advancement, a spiritual power, a spiritual force that's happening. Something is moving that the disciples didn't understand. The prophecy of the Messiah had turned completely from this spiritual deliverance to this physical conquering emperor that was going to go wipe out all the things people didn't like. And so Jesus, responding to somebody, said something I think a lot of us struggle with. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me, you're saying or seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now think of that. Is there ever a reason to have fear or worry or even disappointment if we look at things from God's point of view? I can't think of any reason. I can't think of anything that says, you know what, it, it, here's this category of stuff that if it happens, even God can't touch that. Nothing. But how many of us every day, and I will be the first to raise my hand, every day forget our Father in heaven has got it? Moment by moment, we forget. And this is a good verse to remember, that when we get caught up in the tantalizing of emotions, thinking that at some point, as long as I'm emotionally stable, I've got control of the situation, we're missing the point that Jesus was on, and that was, it's God's plan, and I should seek to be in line with that, not seek to force him to be in line with mine, our Father in heaven. The next phrase that's in there is, hallowed be your name. Some of us can look at this and say, well, this is part of the Ten Commandments. And I guess it could be in some ways. But I think it's more important to realize that not only are we saying our Father in heaven, but in line with the same theme, the same topic of our Father in heaven, comes this next point, hallowed be your name, is this, Good prayer actively recognizes that we are not God. We are not God. And there are more Christians in this world, I think, that forget that than non-Christians. That we get so frustrated when things aren't our way that we don't, and, I, and I'll tell you, one thing that God's been working on in me is that I don't like not knowing things. My whole life has always been spent being in the know. Whether it was in technology or in business strategy, it was always knowing just a little bit more than somebody else that gave us that edge. Not only that, the business work that I ended up getting involved in was strategic advanced technology, which means we not only were on the bleeding edge, we were before the bleeding edge in certain things. Knowing, and knowing a little bit more than the next guy was the most important thing. And that feeds an ugly, vicious, humanistic dare I say, satanic feeling of knowing. But if we say, hallowed be your name, we say, holy and set apart and completely other is your character and your nature. Not just God. The word God is a title. It's not a name. The issue goes back to the core of who we're addressing. Set apart and completely other are you, not me. Are you, not me. How, what do I mean when I say that? Well, it's sometimes for, for me, I've had to pray, God, you know it all, I don't, and that's okay. God, you've got it. And I continue to demonstrate that I don't. It's very important that what we're going through here, again, this is, this is the Lord's Prayer. But I can tell you that before I studied this, in years past, and even a good reminder of these past few weeks, we forget when I say our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, whose arms reach out beyond and outside of what I could ever imagine controlling. And then when I say, hallowed be your name, I say, holy, completely, other completely set apart is your nature. You are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You have all-mercy. You give forgiveness. Things that I could never wrap my arms around. Things that I could never think of or imagine. I don't have all the power. I can't tweak things just right, and then all of a sudden everything works. God is the one who has all of that. The Lord's Prayer gets us in a position where if we're not on our face, between the first two commas, we must be if we're truly addressing Him. That's why the title for today is Vertical Flow. Without that vertical flow, there's nothing that's coming out at the end. I remember I went out to my garden years ago, and I got ready to water it, and, and, I, and I turned on the little valve at the end, and just this little came out. And I'm thinking, oh, how is that going to help the plants at all? I've got nothing to give to these plants. This hose has no flow coming into it, so there's nothing coming out of it for these plants. Let the light bulbs go off. What did I have to do? I had to go fix the flow back up at the source because the only value that hose had was what? To, to put out whatever was put into it. So I turned on the source. And it was kind of a Pentecostal hose, because I started doing this all over the place because I forgot to turn it off. But <laughs> so I went over and quickly turned it off. I can joke because I grew up Pentecostal, so it's alright. And they're brothers and sisters in Christ. That vertical flow is so important. Hallowed be your name. You are the only one who's all-powerful. How many of you have ever read this psalm that says, Be still and know that I am God? Anybody? We know that one. Many times we'll read that psalm and we'll think, you know, that's right. I just need, I need you to calm down. And God's, God's just, you know, caressing my head and going, you know, be still. I'm God. Until you go and study it in the Hebrew where it was written in. And you realize it wasn't a nice psalm. What was really being said, and we'll read it here, what was really being said was more a matter of it wasn't be still and know that I'm God. It was sit down and shut your mouth. I'm God. You're not. Now, I got goosebumps on that one because I I read that psalm, and that's exactly what God was saying to me. Read it again, Joe. Be still, sit down, and be quiet. I am God. Why do we know that? Well, the next half of the verse tells us this. He says, stop your striving and recognize that I am God, exclamation point. Stop pressing and pressing and pressing. I'm doing this for you, God. I'm praying for you, God. You know, if it wasn't for me praying, man, nothing of this stuff would happen. I'm doing all this, and I'm flying the flag of Jesus. All these things that go on. And God says, stop your striving. Realize who's God. I'm not. And then it says this, I and these are, these are declarations as convictions to why they need to recognize who God is. I will be exalted over the nations. And you can put in there, not you. I will be exalted over the earth, not you. Now That's something so important to remember. When we start off the Lord's Prayer and we realize, wait a second, our Father in heaven, okay, that means he's got better influence and greater power and greater knowledge of anything that's going on. Hallowed be your name. I am not God. And when we realize that we're not, the next step of that has to be, but we know who is. That's why so often in the New Testament, you see New Testament writers, they're having these like, little like micro flip-outs. John says, you know, what, what kind of love is this? We're children of God. Like, this doesn't make sense, but, but, but in a modern American mindset, we all could be really close to God. We get bit by a spider, well, we pretty much can become one, right? Because we can fly and wear a cool suit. Some of us probably shouldn't wear spandex, but. <laughs> We're not told enough. You're not God. We don't tell ourselves enough. I'm not God. But the Lord's Prayer says, start one place. You're not God from our Jesus. And this is a constant reminder for me constantly, constantly. I'm not God. I don't have all the knowledge. I don't have all the power. I don't deserve all the glory. I don't deserve all the honor. He is the one who I should desire to be exalted in front of the nations. By the way, this is a slap in the face to a Jew that Yahweh would be exalted in the nations? The dirty people? (sighs) But that's God's heart. This is the prophecy of the Great Commission. That if we really are seeking out and not striving for our own religious motivations and goals and realize who God is, that he has a plan, that he's working something we could never imagine or understand, we then can be part of his exaltation in the nations and over the whole earth. But that's what he wants to accomplish. This is his plan and his goal. And I'd rather be on the side of our God advancing than the recipient of that violent advancement. And that perfectly, and I love how God does, perfectly comes into another section called your kingdom come. Now, we'd like to think, as Christians, modern day Christians, we understand a little bit better than the Jews did at that time. We're not, we're not misinterpreting this set of verses about the kingdom. You know, it's not, there's not an emperor Jesus showing up and, 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 and doing all these things, and you know, if you don't like Jesus, he's just going to cut your head off, and just these horrible things going on, so we can get our way and be in control of the world, because his kingdom is not of this world. It's tempting sometimes, though, when we see phrases like your kingdom come, to define it how we want to. There's movements throughout the years, even one advancing, several of them advancing throughout the U.S. right now, that likes to claim that the kingdom of God is of man. That the kingdom of God is advanced through politics, is advanced through moralism, through statism, through all kinds of things. When Jesus shut that down with Pontius Pilate just before he died and said, my kingdom's not of this earth. If it was, my servants would take care of this little problem here. It's not an issue, and I believe the servants were much more than just a few people that were humans. I believe he talked about the whole spiritual realm at that time. Scripture says that they were his servants. He was God. So if the kingdom of God is, is not something physical... What is it? Well, let's start with that verse I just talked about in John. John chapter 18 says this. Jesus replied, This is this is the question of, Well, are you a king? My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. The plan that he was advancing was not one that human minds were going to comprehend because it wasn't a physical battle that he was trying to win I've said before that sometimes we get afraid of dying when realistically we should be afraid of living sometimes we get more afraid of God I don't want to lose my life we should be more afraid of wasting our life because we don't have any guarantee of that the work that Jesus did was, was a matter of guaranteeing a future hope not a, a, a current hope But because of our future hope, we have a current hope. That's a beautiful picture there. So it's important to to understand this kingdom. So here's a couple things to talk about for what the kingdom is not, and and then let's get into something to apply for what it is. We're praying now, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We've been advancing now not only with who he is and then the defining characteristics of of who he is, and now we get into what is he about or kingdom come. Well, here's what his kingdom is not. Number one, his kingdom is not a physical organization. This building, some sort of church, some sort of of structure or whatever it is, is not an organization. I listened about two months ago to a group of guys that were talking, and they they were spouting off these things that they called prophecy, and it was they, they were saying that, that America and, and, and the Christian church in America and just sort of pressing these things of they're the advancement of the kingdom. And in some ways you kind of think, okay, that's, that's kind, of, it's kind of neat, but it's a little scary in some ways until they finished it out and said, and then their dominance will cross across the globe just like it says in the Bible. And then at that point, at that point I lost it. Because our goal is not physical dominance. It never has been. But yet, the Crusades and other things throughout history, which I will never defend, I think it's a horrific thing done in the name of Jesus. They're valid in that case if we're supposed to physically advance and crush anybody who doesn't like us. But that's not what the Great Commission says. The Great Commission didn't say go and kill anybody who doesn't agree with you. Today, we just do it socially. People don't like what we say or don't agree with us, then they just kill us socially, create a false set of witnesses and cause our life a whole bunch of trouble. The kingdom can't be a physical organization because there is a spiritual power that has control over the physical. So it has to be something that's beyond the power because that power has been defeated. Next, God's kingdom is not some country or some government. There are thousands of years of governments and countries that have risen and fallen. Some of them rose and gave glory to God and advanced the gospel and advanced the work of Jesus in many amazing ways. And then all of a sudden, took a whole bottle of stupid pills and ruined everything and then collapsed. Guys, we're ODing on stupid pills in this country, unfortunately. We've sought to advance more of a political agenda. I'm sorry I don't agree with people taking their Bibles to get signed by a president. I love our leaders. We should pray for our leaders. We should should stick up and make sure that authority is respected. I don't have to agree with everything. But our job is not to go ahead and blend and think that some sort of physical advancement, that God and Mirka are the same. They're not. Because Constantine did the same thing, and where are they? There's a lot of things There's a lot of things that we want to push as far as our our country, or government. And here's the last one, and I think we have to be very careful with. God's kingdom is not America. God's kingdom is not built on a foundation of brick and mortar, of a certain version of the Bible, or a certain way that we dress. God's kingdom is built on the souls that are captured through the work of the gospel. That's the advancement of God's kingdom. There's many ways that we think that, that, and we all have thought it, For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we've wanted to take the power of the gospel. Even early on in the gospel, Paul's saying, listen, don't peddle the word of God. Don't sit there and bring it along as if it's some way to make money or influence people for your own gain. He says, that's that's not what I'm about. Now, there's people that will do that. Our goal should be advancing of the gospel. That's how we submit to that. So when we say, your kingdom come, we're saying, I submit to the great Commission." Now, that's a hard one to pray because I'll say that's probably, unfortunately, the great commission too often is the great omission. See, God's kingdom and its advancement, it centers on the gospel. And the gospel isn't a message of of physical authority. The gospel isn't a message of, we're finally going to get those dirty Romans off our soil The gospel is a message that no matter what happens in this life, we have that reconciliation with our Father in Heaven. And that when we have that solution and that we have that hope, we pass that on to others. Here's how we can understand when we pray your kingdom come. Like I said, we're submitting to the Great Commission and here's what it is. Good prayer is centered on the power of the gospel moving and affecting others' lives. Think of that. When I pray, your kingdom come, there's a temptation sometimes to think of, make the church bigger. And I've made statements before, and I, and, I, and I heavily add in additional information to understand it is, I am all about the numbers because God is all about the people. That's why numbers matter to me. But if numbers matter to me out of power or control or influence or I want people to have the right logo on their t-shirt, then throw me off a bridge. There's there no point. In fact, that is evil to advance that. But if the goal is, is that I want as many people to come to the knowledge of Jesus, that matches God's desire. Jesus didn't come to this earth to establish some new physical kingdom where we could set it up and put a bunch of borders and walls up and put some sort of standard in the center of it and say, well, if you don't like it, you can just go somewhere else. That's not what he said. The Great Commission was go, not invite them to come. The Great Commission was go, not invite them to come. And that changes our mindset. The Great Commission is to the detriment of me. That's why I say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, not Joe's kingdom. Your kingdom come, not the American. Your kingdom come, not some church name. Your kingdom come, not my business or my desires or my family or whatever it is. Your kingdom come. Now, how are you so sure about that, Pastor Joe? Well, let me tell you why. Because the next set of verses says, Your will be done. If we weren't sure about your kingdom come, he finishes it off with, Okay, let's just broaden this. Let's make sure that God gets everything he wants. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was convicting to me a couple weeks ago when I read and I talked to some folks after one of our prayer nights and I said, you know, we really like the concept of God's will. Most of the time, we do. Until we realize that God's will includes God's, God's way and God's when. I want your will, God, as long as I can tell you when and how to do it. Right? We want God's will because of the assumption of authority and power. Yeah, your will be done, God, because you're going to do these things to benefit me or benefit this person or benefit these things. But realistically, the challenge that God calls us to in, in the gospel or in, in, in this gospel here, in his, his teaching on prayer, is, is that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, any dissension has been removed already. The dissenters were cast out. The people who were against any of his will not happening, anything being risen above the authority of God himself is gone. So on earth as it is in heaven, as, as just as much my own submission as it is a prophecy of what's going to be happening, that there will be no separation between that rule anymore, that the physical and the spiritual family will dwell together. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, defines the vertical flow fix that we all need every day, every single day. Here's three points for us to think about on God's will being done. Good prayer accepts Not not just says, okay, fine, accepts, lives, and actively receives, accepts that God's answer is best. That's a hard one. Well, what if it's not what I want? We've given up what we want. We've set it aside. Good prayer accepts that God's answer is best. Here's another thing to, to look at as far as trust The second point here is this. Good prayer trusts that God's power is supreme. You could use the word sovereign and and other types of words there. It trusts that God's power is supreme. That there's something over whatever power I think I have, over any desire that I think I have, that it exceeds what I have, and that's the God that I talk with. God's power is supreme. The last point, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Good prayer submits to God's will, God's way, and God's timing. I did that because I just had to break the alliteration. God's will, God's way, and timing, or if you want to alliterate, it, you could say when. When we pray, are we okay with what God wants to do? Even though we may not know. When we pray, are we okay with how God wants to do it? Even though he might not want to include us at all. And when we pray, are we okay with when God wants to do it? And that changes a lot of how we view that vertical relationship with our God. This whole section, this whole discussion here of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is, is the first section of that, that Lord's Prayer that we would call it. But when we look at it in this context of, of good prayer looking like something where I'm saying, where am I and where is he? It changes that relationship in that conversation. Something to, to kind of give you a, A little bit of an understanding of what happens next week when we study. There's one word in verse 11 that sets the context for when the Lord's Prayer should happen. It's the word today. It's the word today. Because you can't ask for daily bread every week, you can't ask for daily bread at night. You can't ask for daily bread in a scenario where it's like, oh, I'm going to do this once a month because we do this communion thing or we do this other thing, whatever. This is, this is when we're going to do this, this daily prayer kind of thing. It's a daytime lifestyle. Uh, it's a lifestyle that our day is dedicated to trusting God. That we begin by filling the tank with gas. and We'll talk about that in week three, actually. So this then is how you should pray. Is where Jesus starts and gives us the command to answer a question that I know we all ask. And I just want to share a, a testimony before we close. There's a lot of time that I think we all spend thinking about things and wondering about things and praying or studying our Bible or devotion times and all all this different stuff that, that goes into our relationship with God. I want to challenge those that are here listening today and those that will be listening online to change some things this month in your prayer life to change how you and I go about addressing our God. I will tell you that oftentimes we pray because we want to to have some sort of effect and we want to see the answers happen. And I get that desire completely. I know that desire, deeply know that desire. But prayer itself becomes very ineffective when it's focused more on the answer than the answerer. And that's why we start, and that's why Jesus started with the vertical flow problem. If we don't know who it is that we're talking to, if we don't really see and realize this is what we're doing, this is how we're addressing, we begin to miss the whole point of prayer, the whole point of our relationship with God. There was a point during worship this morning, this is is the testimony part, I kind of led into that. As we were singing, and it hit me, and it should hit all of us more often, maybe I'm just slow, but it hit me. I'm really singing to God. I'm not singing to God at church. I'm not singing to God with the church. I'm not singing to God because it is church. I'm not, it, it, nothing existed except for just me and Him. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just me and daddy. And this is the challenge that I want to give as I close this morning. Let God transform your prayer life this coming week and this whole month. Remember who he is. And I'll tell you, to begin our prayer life in the mindset of of understanding this vertical flow better, of realizing who it is we're talking to, when we get to give us this day our daily bread, there's a lot of things that just stop mattering when we realize who it is we're talking to. Amen? There are a lot of things that just stop giving us anxiety and frustration and fear and doubt and depression and all these horrific, evil, dark things that cloud our minds that when we call out to the God in heaven the one whose name is holy and set apart and beyond me and all-knowing and all-powerful, when we call out to that, all of a sudden, things begin to disappear. Why? Because we're reminded, he's God, I'm not. He needs to know it all, I don't. He needs to have all the power, I don't and won't. Things stop mattering as much in the physical world when we realize to be a Christian is cheating. We serve a God who already knows everything that's going on, who already knows everything that's happening, who stands as an advocate and defender of his people, that nothing can stand against us or come against us, but what he has allowed. And so we sit in the palm of his hands, the almighty creator of the universe, and do we really act like it? Do we really trust that God is holding us? And then when things come swinging at us, Do we forget that we're in God's hands or do we remember and go, can't touch this? Let God transform the prayer life for you this week. That daily as you go to him, you realize who he is. We worship him for his nature. And we seek to advance. His number one goal is His kingdom coming. And it's not an advancement of of Christianity in America. It's not an advancement of morality across legislation. It's not an advancement of all these things that we want to have happen so that it's more comfortable for us to do or live how we want to. That we submit to His kingdom, which is the advancement of the gospel. There's no way to become part of the kingdom of God without entering through the gospel. It's the only way the kingdom advances. Go ahead and bow your head this morning. I'm just going to be quiet for just a moment. And I want us to think about this one thing. Our life entering the kingdom and then within the kingdom as Christians It forces us to recognize this one big truth. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. You are the one who knows everything. You are the one that has all power. To you we give all the glory and honor. Here's what I want to do. If you have your Bible still open or if you remember it from heart, I want to pray out loud together as we close. Now with this understanded, understood Wow, that was terrible. Understood context. I want to read out loud together the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to start with this then is how you should pray and then we will say together our Father in heaven, all right? So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. God, I pray right now that this would truly be our heart, that we would really just completely submit to you, God. That when we pray and say, our Father in heaven, we would, we would mean it. And when we say, holy is your name, we would realize that we're saying, we are not God, but you are. That when we say, your kingdom come, that this is not an advancing sword of morality, but this is the advancement of the gospel one-on-one. The great commission moving forward with the truth of Jesus. And it's a promise that one day, heaven and earth will be ruled the same way. And boy, God, do we want that. So, God, we pray that as we move forward through this week, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that you would receive all the attention and and all power would come from you, God. We would not trust in ourselves. And God, that you would turn on that vertical flow in our lives, that we could be useful in the garden of this world. In Jesus' name, everyone together, amen. Amen.